Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... This is Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Um, a very special episode today. But first, how are you doing? I am well. It's a Friday afternoon. Um, I believe we're about to go into a heat wave in the UK, which is absolutely disgusting and I'm not looking forward to. But I am most well. Are you well? I am well. Um, then we are all yeah. well. Also glad it's a Friday and... I am off gallivanting for um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. I am climbing Scaffold Pike, which is a mountain in the Lake District. So that will be a lot of fun. Um, I've, I've heard uh, similar height to Everest. Yes. Some some, some say more of... difficult, more of a difficult climb than Everest as well. I believe. Yes. Yes. That's right. Almost as hard as Dark Souls. That's right, but not quite as hard. Almost. No. That would be silly. Yes, quite. But alas, I'm sure Okay. I'm sure you'll do very well. I will climb up and I will roll down. Excellent. Make sure to take a Kit Kat for a little bit of sugar. I will climb up and I will glide down, which is a ah. bit of a nod to today's game. Um okay, so today is is an episode that we've been talking about since probably the Ocarina of Time episode. And unsurprisingly, it's a Zelda game. The Zelda game we have today is number nine on the Metacritic Top 100 list. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild with a a score of 97. And it was released on the Nintendo Switch alongside the Wii U in the year 2017. Um, Okay, big one. Do you have any history with this game? As with every Zelda game that we've talked about on this list, I always kind of circle background and prerequisite as someone that's not massively a Zelda fan. Uh, They were never really games for me, I suppose. Um, I've now played all of the the Zelda games that were on this list. The only one in the mainline series that I haven't played is Skyward Sword because that isn't in the top 100. So... I downloaded Breath of the Wild about a year ago, maybe, because uh, I had a I had a hankering to play an open world game, and you know it was there and it was on slight offer, um, as much as Nintendo off like will drop prices on its on its first party games because it doesn't really drop the cost by much. But I I I bought Breath of the Wild and told you about it, and you you suggested to hold off um, and maybe wait until until um, we got to it for the for the podcast. So. This time around is my first time playing this game and I know a lot about it because, you know, all of the rave reviews and stuff from 2017, hard to avoid. I knew knew a fair bit about it ahead of time. But yes, this was my first time playing it, which I don't believe is the case for you. No. So, I don't even know where to begin. You've never played this game before and you didn't like it. No, awful game. Um, <laughs> get off the list. And let's wrap up the episode there. There we go. <laughs> um, so th- this is a really 
important game for Nintendo because it was tied directly with the Switch launch. And I know originally um, it was a Wii U release only. And then Nintendo cut the Wii U era short and started work on the Switch. And they decided to release this game alongside the Switch uh, in a similar fashion to when Twilight Princess came out. Um, I the, the success that the Switch has seen today, I think it all started here with Breath of the Wild. And I distinctly remember that E3 leading up to um, the Switch and Breath of the Wild's release, or the E3 beforehand, and Nintendo came along. And you had Sony and you had Microsoft and you had all these other game companies that showed their raft of games. Nintendo came along with Breath of the Wild. That was it. So to say that it felt like everything was resting on Breath of the Wild, I feel could almost be an understatement. And And Nintendo needed the Switch to succeed, didn't it? Because the Wii U, I mean, it wasn't a complete failure, but it was definitely a flop compared to what the expectations were against it, I suppose. So there was a lot they riding a on win. the Switch. That's what they needed. And, and yeah. they could have probably had another couple of failures, but it wouldn't have... I mean, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? And Sega, I'm sure, can attest to that. Yeah. Um, so they needed a win, and it felt like it was all resting on um, this game and the Switch. And... I remember coverage of um, Breath of the Wild from that E3 and everyone came out saying it stole the show. Um, So I was quite significantly hyped for this game before it came out. Something I don't usually do in the modern era. Um, I pre-ordered my Switch. I pre-ordered the special edition of Breath of the Wild and I was off um, the week that it came out. I don't think I was off uh, just because it came out but it happened to coincide and I got my switch got breath of the wild and sat down and started playing and that journey through breath of the wild lasted probably a good couple of months before i um closed the book on it i played 155 hours of it which not a bad run time not as much as some people playing this game but a lot more than some people playing this game um and by the end of it I kind of had done almost everything. I'd I'd found um, 117 of the 120 shrines. Um, I'd scoured the map for the other three, couldn't find them. Um, I've since found one more of them, um, but I still am missing two, which must be really tucked away. And one of the things with this game was that I refused to look at any guides. I wanted to explore. I wanted to discover this game on my own. And... Um, the only thing I really didn't do was the Koroks because it's nine hundred something of myself. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to do that to myself. Um, I loved it, and I, I recall the final—I'd uh, say the final day of, of playing this game. I was just getting ready for the final fight with Ganon and catching bugs near Hyrule Castle, and then you've got the epic. Uh, spoilers obviously um, and I know you haven't got to this point but I am going no, to but I know it's not happens. really a spoiler it's it's kind of um, 
it's par for the course for Zelda, really. So you, you 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 head into Hyrule Castle to face Ganon, and it's just this um, epic sort of sweeping moments. Um, yeah, so I I really loved Breath of the Wild when it came out, and for me at the time, it was it was kind of a a battle between this and Majora's Mask as to which was my favourite game that I've ever played. I think they both have very dif- different strengths, actually, um, which I'm sure we'll get to in the episode. Um, f- so, y- you played this on a Switch, didn't you? Yeah, on the OLED. Uh, I most mostly played it in docked mode. Uh, it's one of those games that I feel is a TV game, but I did um, I did occasionally dip in and out of handheld, but not very often. Um, so, yeah, it, it was mostly on the TV. Um, I, I don't know but if it was the same for you. Um, I played the, I've been playing a lot in handheld over the past couple of years, really, it feels like. Um, I don't know. It's just really switched my, my, my way of playing. And I've been playing switched a lot of Switch Switched it, recently. you say? Yeah, and, and, uh, and I've, I've been playing, I played this in handheld. I've started um, Tears of the Kingdom and actually I'm playing that all in handheld with headphones and on the OLED. That looks stunning, handheld. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a. I think I, I'll tell you when. I think it's since I got the OLED, I really wanted to make use of that OLED screen because it does look. Great. Yes. Um. So I think it's since I got the OLED that I started playing heavily in handheld. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I played this in handheld. I did something different with this though because I really felt like once I finished Breath of the Wild, I was um I was quite happy to to let it lie for some time and I'd wait until. I organically went back to it to play it again because obviously when you sunk that much time into a game, you you, you got to give yourself a bit of time to I suppose, yeah. reset. It's and, why um, you and me haven't gone back to play The Last of Us Part Two yet. Yeah, yeah, and and, and maybe a couple of other games on the list as well. Mm. And uh, so I did something different for this playthrough, and I told you beforehand what I was going to do. I'd bought the DLC for this game quite some time ago, and. My my task that I set myself for this episode, which was a, probably a less significant task than you had, mm. uh, was to complete the DLC um, for this game ready for the episode so that I could enjoy the gameplay once again, but also do something that I'd never done before. And um, yeah, I really quite enjoyed the DLC playing this game as well. Did, um, you, uh, did you manage to get Majora's Mask? Uh, I... As part of the DLC or just generally? As part of the DLC, I don't think it's in the um in the in the main game. No, I, I think that there's two parts to the DLC, and that may be part of part one. So I played heavily part two, which was the kind of story expansion. Ah, got you. Yeah. Um. So, okay. Don't want to get hung up on the intro for uh, too long. So let's move on to the storyline of this game. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown? Sure. So I, I actually watched a video uh, the other day about what people believe is the current canon of the Zelda series and the the kind of the direction that they run. And it seems like it's still a completely huge mess that not even Nintendo properly knows. Because, I mean, they, they bought out the um, the Hyrule book of, of it, yeah, like in like 2012 or something. But since then, there have been a couple of new games and it seems to have... And even then, I don't think it... it... I think there's, there are contradictions in there. Yes, there are. Yeah, there are. Um, but this game 
takes place in in Hyrule, as do a majority of the other games. And as always, you play as Link, who wakes up in the shrine or the Temple of Resurrection. Uh, And he is kind of... This game is very open, and your only task really is to defeat Ganon. But the story in the background is, is that 100 years ago, uh, Princess Zelda, along with four champions and her knight, who the knight was Link, are given the task of defeating Ganon. However, upon the preparation for this, they uh, each of the four champions takes on something called a Divine Beast, which is like this huge Shadow of the Colossus-esque um, creation to help in the fight for Ganon. Um, but when the battle finally begins, um, all of the champions are killed. Link is defeated by uh, these mechanical things called guardians and Zelda goes into Hyrule Castle on her own to try and fight Ganon and hold him off. Uh, Link is taken to the the Shrine of Resurrection where he is basically put to sleep for a hundred years and the game starts with, uh, with Link waking up. He doesn't have any memory, he doesn't know anything really and the game is effectively, uh, depending how you play it, but the the linear story, I suppose, is to find out um, what what happened to Zelda, to go back to Hyrule Castle to defeat Ganon because he has been trapped in that castle for a hundred years and kind of lay scourged to the land, and find your memories and 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 work out who you are and and what happened and and go and assist Zelda because she's been in that castle for a hundred years holding off Ganon and he's getting to a point now where he is about to overpower her so Link wakes up and that's that's his task uh, and that's pretty much the story I think although I've probably missed a few bits and bobs in there no I think that's uh it's there are some wrinkles to the usual Zelda formula but yeah. it is um it's still very much a Zelda game it's not Majora's Mask in terms of no it's not this com- completely original thing um and I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Breath of the Wild, the very famous final trailer, um, but it's all about finding out what happened 100 years ago. Um, and as you say, you, you've referenced that in your in your description of the storyline. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is a really big question for you, and this is not sarcasm either. What's changed? And I'm not going to say what's changed between this and... Skyward Sword because obviously we didn't play that as part yeah. of the I've, I've played it separately but you've not played it so, so what's changed between this and uh, Twilight Princess the the scale of it I suppose Twilight Princess is kind of marketed and discussed as the most linear of the Zelda games and I don't know if that's well, the case for Skyward, Skyward Sword, Sword is even even more linear there you go so Obviously, Nintendo seemed like they were going in a direction of linearity with the Zelda franchise um, in the late 2000s and early 2010s. However, this game is different in the sense that it's completely open to you. It's completely free. So it's an open world and you can tackle it however you want. There's no real way to do it. Everyone will find their own journey with this game and everyone will find their own way of playing it as soon as you've completed the tutorial area which is uh, named the great plateau you're basically given the the quest marker of defeat ganon 
So <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the only Zelda game in the series where you can go and take on the final be- uh, final boss you know, minutes after completing the tutorial. And unless you really know what you're doing, you're going to get absolutely smashed to bits. I but, think, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you can go straight to the final boss, but you can certainly approach any dungeon in any order um, in Zelda 1, going back to... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you can. And, and I think with creation of Breath of the Wild, that was something that they wanted to do, is they yeah, wanted correct. to kind of, um, kind of go back to the roots of Zelda being with the first... Legend of Zelda game from the eighties that uh, that we played you know a while ago, um, but another big change uh, between this and Twilight Princess and really for the rest of the series is the dungeons. There aren't really traditional dungeons. I think you could no. probably argue that Hyrule Castle kind of classifies as one. Maybe, um, but the rest of the game is. Uh, it's kind of broken down into four divine beasts that you you've got the option of going to um, going to tackle the divine beasts, which kind of act as dungeon esque things. Giant puzzle boxes. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, puzzle boxes is a good term for them. Uh, and then the other element to it that might be again slightly dungeon esque, but they're just mini puzzles to, to the most part, is the the 120 shrines yeah. around the map, uh, and the shrines are there to be completed some of them are puzzles some of them are tests of strength and at the end of a shrine you receive a spirit orb and you have to get four spirit orbs to convert that into either a heart piece uh, or not a heart piece a heart container or a addition to your stamina vessel uh, because you've got the option in this game of either focusing on increasing your hearts or your stamina uh, both of which are probably equally important. And I think this yeah. is the first game as well, really, where that's been an element to it. And, you know, that there's pros and cons of doing both. Uh, like, if you want to get the Master Sword, then you need to put effort into upping your hearts over your stamina. Uh, but it depends how many shrines you're going to do. But you can just go to fight Ganon. With three hearts, you can go and fight Ganon, and people have done it. Yeah, I've I've watched quite a few speedruns of this game in the past kind of three weeks since I started playing it, and like the stuff that people can do on this game is crazy. It's um, unbelievable. Yeah, and I suppose the biggest change are those, but another big change in this game is the combat system, um, and in particular the weapon degradation, which maybe you've got noted down to touch on later. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, good, because I've got things to say about that, but. Yeah, this is a very, very different game to the other Zelda games. And I think for for me, because obviously you've kind of set your stall out quite early on there. Like you, you said that it's either this or Majora's Mask that are potentially your favourite game of all time. Whereas... Yeah, I said, I said at the time, so there is six years of, I suppose, deliberation there um, yeah. as well. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm still... I, I'm. Especially starting in Tears of the Kingdom, um, it's made me just think about the games. That's all I'll say. That's fair enough. For me, because like I mentioned at the start of the episode, I'm not really a Zelda person. There are some games, some Zelda games on this list that I've enjoyed. I I thought Link to the Past was alright. I played Ocarina of Time a couple of times in the past, but it was the first time I completed it and it was okay 
Majora's Mask I really enjoyed. Wind Waker, if you listen to our latter 50 uh, ranking uh, list, I'd mentioned in that game that I wanted it to be better than I thought that it was. Yeah. Uh, and Twilight Princess. Yeah. And, and Twilight Princess has probably been my least favourite out of them. And then you've got Zelda 1 and Zelda 2, which are kind of a thing on their own. But Although it is worth noting you've still got to finish Twilight Princess. I've, yeah, I've still got to finish it. Um, but Breath of the Wild feels like a completely different thing. And it is the most non-Zelda feeling Zelda game that I've played. And I mean, to, to, to be upfront, I really, I, I'm still playing it at the moment. Obviously, Dan's given me the challenge... Um, to complete all the Zelda games, which is why I need to go back and complete Twilight Princess. And I haven't completed Breath of the Wild yet, just because it's no. so massive. Um, it is. You know, I've, I think I've got 25 hours played around about that, and I've done two Divine Beasts. I've done quite a few shrines, and I'm just kind of enjoying seeing where things take me. Um, and as well as that, this is the first Zelda game where I haven't really used a guide. Like, I've looked up a few bits and bobs here and there how to do specific things but this is the yeah, first Zelda more, game where tips for yeah 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 tips and stuff yeah. however this is the first Zelda game that we've played on the list I think where I haven't um seeked out specific guidance for certain bits so I've been happy to just go with it and you know see where it takes because the thing with this game is that if you're given a problem that seems like it's only got maybe three ways of dealing with it if you step back and look at it, then there's probably actually about seven or eight ways that you can um, tackle the issue. There's, You said to me probably a couple of years ago, but also just before we started this, the best way to play this game is to just see where it takes you. Um, and that's kind of what I've done here. And like I said, it feels like the, the least Zelda-esque game of the Zelda games that we've played, which I think is why I've enjoyed it so much. And I think the biggest element of that is the dungeons which i know for a lot of zelda fans they hate the fact that there aren't dungeons in this game whereas i really really enjoy that fact it's fair enough mm. yeah okay um so on to our ever-present feature gameplay is king um is breath of the wild fun to play yes it's unlimited options as to what you can do the gameplay isn't flawless and this certainly isn't a perfect game. No, and I, I've, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I've watched um, a lot of footage, particularly from 2017. Um, and you're seeing it again right now uh, with the Tears of the Kingdom reviews that are coming out. And people like um, Jim Sterling saying things like, you know, this game is a 70. And he, I think he said, uh, I think, sorry, I think they said the same about... Um, yeah, they, they gave them both a seven. Um, I think critique with Tears of the Kingdom was that it's it more of the same. It, it, yeah, not even that. It's it's it, it the stuff that builds on Breath of the Wild is great, but it still uses a lot of stuff from Breath of the Wild. So if you don't like that stuff, that stuff's still there. Um, yes, and there was a lot of pushback at the time against reviewers that didn't mark this game down as a 10 out of 10 or a perfect and same tears of the kingdom and i mean to be fair same for just zelda games in general but just just a lot of uh well it's particularly i find exclusive games yeah 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 you always get those, those that subsection of people that i i was thinking i was thinking about this recently um 
what people like, and, and I, I heard someone else describe. Maybe it was maybe it was uh, Jim Stephanie Sterling um, who said this. People just like to have an echo chamber yeah. for what they like, and they like this echo chamber of, of thoughts saying, "Oh, yeah," to, to validate. This was perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think we we all seek that a bit, and I think we need to be aware of that because our opinion is subjective and and it's not right. Yeah. So these echo chambers are a bit unhealthy in a way, aren't they? Well, yeah, this game is very, very, very good Um, and arguably one of the most fun, uh, one of the most fun times I've had playing games on this list, but it isn't perfect. And we haven't played a perfect game on this list. No, of course we've not. we've played games that you and me think are probably quite close to being perfect, but I think like you a say it's a subjective piece and perfection. I don't believe any game is perfection. I mean, I know there's that thing of saying Tetris is perfect, but mm. te- Tetris is also uh repetitive in its own way. Tetris um, isn't so perfect cuz Tetris perfect. pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, uh, to me there is no such thing as perfection but you can still have games that are a masterpiece yes absolutely uh, so yeah in, in a roundabout way of answering your question that yes this game is very fun um and i imagine you would probably say the same yeah so, so to me um in terms of the gameplay this is far and away the best playing zelda i have no qualms in saying that it feels good to play everything feels snappy and punchy and jumping and climbing and all the physics stuff that's in there it just feels good to play and jumping back into it i I was reminded of that it just feels good to play and it feels good to solve puzzles organically by experimenting yeah this is a game about experimentation and experimenting here feels glorious um yeah, I think it's really fun to play. I think that's probably the well, one of two biggest selling points of this game is the gameplay. Um, okay, so what's your favourite move to do? Doesn't have to be a combat move. I, to be to be honest with you, I find the I found the combat to be quite samey, um, and I often found myself shying away from the combat because of the degradation system. Uh, not not entirely, but. A lot of the time, I think that one of the best features in this game is the is the paraglider. I love it. Yeah, it makes traversal very good, and particularly once you've done um, so, like like we said, you can do any of the divine beasts in any order that you want. Uh, the the order that I've done them is I did the uh, the Zora one first, the big elephant, and then I did the big bird one um, afterwards in the sky. And after you complete that one, you get um, after each after each divine beast, you unlock a power from the original champion that that piloted the the divine beast in the the battle a hundred years ago. And the one you get for doing the bird divine beast is um, what what's what's it called? Like wings of Rivali's wind. Rivali's wind. That's it. And basically, you get a, a super high boost into the air that you can then paraglide off. Um, and it just makes traversal so fun. Uh, so I, I would say that the paraglider would be the the highlight in terms of moves. Um, but again, there are so many ways that you can play this game, um, finding different ways to take on enemies and, and 
fighting bosses and stuff is yeah that's what i was going to say that yeah i think the with the combat there is of course there's the sword play um and there's quite a bit there but and there's a learning curve to it as well with um the dodges and with the parries yeah it's not easy and then there's then there's all the other bits that you can use all the all the other bits at your disposal to take on enemies which i think you start to do as you start to experiment with the game like I started using magnetism to, to use to yeah. metal objects to fire enemies or bombs or um, the ice, uh, the freezing thing, um, or stasis. Mm-hmm. The, there's a lot to it, and, and the combat can change depending on um, conditions and things like that. So there there are layers to the combat, but yeah, I, I, get, I get what you're saying, especially if you're not a fan of the degradation um so my my favorite move you you've you've kind of stolen my thunder there is also the glider although i do have a backup um i'm as i say i'm playing tears of the kingdom i have not got the glider on tears of the kingdom yet i'm still quite early on in that game i think i've just um well i have just left the tutorial area um and i don't have the glider yet yet at the same time in tears of the kingdom there's a lot of um sky traversal even very early on and I am missing the glider, and I can't wait to get it because it becomes second nature yeah. to jump off a platform and just to tap the, I think it's the X or the Y button. I always get confused because of the. Uh, yeah, I think it's X on the top. Yeah, uh, and you you tap that button um, and use your glider, and it just feels so natural. It becomes like it feels like I've lost a limb. Um, yeah. In Tears of the Kingdom, because I don't have it. That's how second nature it becomes. Um, so my secondary uh, favorite move is I don't know if you've done this yet is the uh, the shield surfing, which is just I, fun. I'd never worked out how to do that. So it's um, I think it's using your shield with the uh, left trigger, and then it's jumping and then tapping the right trigger, I believe. Got you. And uh, and then you start shield surfing, and it's yeah, especially if you do it in the snow, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've not. I've, I haven't worked that out, so I'll give that a go when I next play it. Because um, I've seen videos of that, and it was just something I just oh, yeah. didn't get around to trying. You can you can um, shield surf and jump in the air and use your glider while you're shield surfing and carry on shield surfing. It's again, there's a lot of layers to stuff that you wouldn't know yeah. until you just start digging with it. And yeah, it's, for that reason, it's gameplay is king is um or as the name suggests it's an important feature in in our podcast and i feel like this is one of the stellar examples um of gameplay yeah in the list that we've done so far there are a few others as well and this is one of them so let's talk about the open world um i've called this section hostile hyrule um tell us a bit about hyrule and what it feels like to as you say carve your path through it um yeah describe that for us well the 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 game the game scales in difficulty with you so i think as you um i I don't know what the trigger is for it whether it's as you get more heart pieces or stamina parts or as you complete more shrines or, or more divine beasts but the world scales with you and at the start of the game you are given this uh this like tablet thing which you need it's Wii U. Yeah, you get a Wii U. 
which um, you effectively need to to update and fill in by going to, as in every open world, a big tower, so that you can see what's um, what's around you, what's going on. And I think there are about eight or nine of these big towers. Yeah, they're not too many. It's not like um, your, your your Assassin's Creed or your Far Cry. No. Where it's every two minutes. It feels yes, like. but there are enough to uh, challenge you. And also the way to traverse up these towers can be dif- different in different areas. Yeah, like the old Assassin's Creed games used to have. Yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Um but the the world around you can go from being incredibly peaceful one minute to just out to kill you a, a, a minute later. And one of the one of the issues that I was having, I was doing uh, the task for whatever that old woman's called that lives in Kakariko Village. I can't remember her name. Um, is, it, is it Impa? Yeah, Impa. I was doing the task for her to um, find the twelve memories so that you could kind of piece together what happened 100 years ago. And I knew that in doing that, I'd get the the champion's tunic, the the kind of the, the classic blue yeah, outfit that you see Link wearing in um, in this. I, I know that you can get the like the green um, yes. the green tunic and stuff in the game, but you have to complete all the shrines to do that. And there was no way that I was going to do that. So um, I thought I'd get the next best thing. Um, and there was one of the, pieces that was quite nearby Hyrule Castle and it wasn't the one in Hyrule Castle I did struggle with that a little bit but not too bad and that was the only time that I've been into Hyrule Castle so far was to get that memory so I've not you know gone in there to take on Ganon or get the shield but um, there's one around the front of Hyrule Castle that you have to cross a big open plain of grass and as you get closer to the castle, there are these big guardians. And like I mentioned earlier, the guardians are like these big machines that um, the way they, they fight you is that they'll lock onto you and they'll shoot this huge burst of light at you. They're brutal early yeah. on. Yeah, like they're so frustrating. And for a while, I was like, how am I going to get to this memory? And I had to sneak by and I got really far across and then one of them just saw me. I was like, oh, for Christ's sake. Um and because I'm not very good at the parry system in this game with the shields, they just absolutely clattered me every time. How did and you do it in the end? sorry, how did you do it in the end? I can't even remember. I think I made my way to the central tower, went up there, and then just like flew down. Um, <laughs> Which is an option in this game. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the challenges in this game, I found, I found myself not going the way that they wanted you to go or any of the alternative routes they put aside to you. I just be like, right, I'm just going to climb. Um, so I avoided That's a lot of... option though. Yeah, I avoided a lot of um, difficult areas just by climbing. And like sometimes getting seen by an enemy is just like, just absolutely batters you. I remember I went to... a Lionel yet? Yeah, they're solid. Like they're really Shit. tough. But... I remember going up to the, um, I, I, I say it's the fourth shrine on the Great Plateau, the one that's in the uh, the cold area. Yes. And if you look across um, over the Great Plateau, it leads towards kind of like the rocky, deserty area. Yeah. And I was like, right, I'm going to fly over there. So I flew over and I, I, I was like, there is a tower around here, so I'm going to find it. And as I was climbing the mountain, you know those, 
I can't remember what they're called, but they're like those little ghosty things that have got long oh, robes on that kind of skip about. Oh, you mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, they're. I know what they are. They're, they're like the, the the sorcerers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, like little wizards. And yeah, wizards. I'd I'd fought I'd fought a couple of them, and like a bit bit challenging, but they weren't too bad. And I found this one as I was climbing up the mountain <laughs> to get to this tower, and it saw me. I was like, okay, this won't be too much of a problem. But I realised wizard robes. Yeah, wizard robes. That's it. I realised all of my bows had broken, so ranged was out. And this one particular whiz robe was absolutely solid. And it just decided to start raining down thunder. And I started to run away. And I was like, well, I'll get out of its sight and it will stop doing it. But it chased me for a good, like, 45 seconds, just, like, shooting this thunder from the sky. And I was like, what is going on? Uh, And eventually I managed to get away. But this game, if you're not paying attention to the way that you're going or if you're not paying attention to the alternative routes open to you, it will absolutely smack you down. Yeah, which uh, this is isn't for Zelda. Yeah, this isn't an easy game, and, and like each divine beast has its own uh, boss at the end, and it's a version of Ganon that you have to fight. And I've done, like I said, the water one and the one in the air, and I've watched quite a lot of footage of the one that I'm about to do next. I'm in, um, I'm in the desert, and I've seen that the one in the desert um, divine beast gives people quite a lot of grief just because of the speed of the thing and the thunder. Um, so we'll see how I get on with that one. And then I've got to go up to, to Death Mountain to do the last one. I've not really worked out how I'm going to do the whole thing in terms of not burning alive when I get there, because I went to try and find a shrine up there, landed on the floor and was dead within about 20 seconds because I just burnt burnt alive. There are ways there yeah. are, again, quite a few ways to do Food, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, this is a this is a very hostile world if you're not paying attention, um, and if you're not paying attention to your inventory and managing that effectively, um, is how I would answer your question in a long-winded way. And how do you think? So with so many games, you start the game and it's an open world, but people head a certain way how do you think this game gets away from that because i do believe it does but what is it about this game that empowers people to go off in their own direction you know i i've mentioned this before and i don't know because i know that you've watched a few videos on this game uh, the past yes. week or two I've, I've mentioned this video maybe a year or two ago and it's a video that i watched and it's a Breath of the Wild video, and I don't know if you've come across it yet, of um, introducing a non-gamer to a video game. And no, it's, I don't remember it. So it's a guy that's... Uh, he, he's a gamer, he's been playing games all his life, but his girlfriend isn't. She has never really got games, so she doesn't really play them. And he basically says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give her a controller, I'm going to start her on a new... Um, new game on Breath of the Wild and see how she gets on and it seems from watching that video that it took her a while particularly like I've, I've 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 had girlfriends in the past where I've tried to get them into gaming and the thing that people struggle with the most is moving the camera as well as moving a character um, like fr- free cameras really at the same time yeah, yeah it, it really throws people that aren't used to it whereas for me 
it's imprinted into my head because I've been yeah. doing it since I was a kid. Um, but with with um, with Breath of the Wild, because you can just do whatever you want in whatever order, even you can't leave the Great Plateau until you've done the four shrines, and that's so that you don't kind of screw yourself over further on down the line. But even on the Great Plateau, you tackle it however you want. So, you know, I think it's either Matthew Matosis or King K on, on YouTube put it quite well, is that once you finish the Great Plateau, you have got the, the waypoint that the king directs you to to go to Kakariko Village. Or if you don't want a linear experience and you just want to kind of go and explore, you can do that as well. And that's the thing that this girl did when she was playing the game. She she only played the Great Plateau section, but instead of when you come out of the Shrine of Resurrection, um, you do the, the iconic kind of intro to the game where you look over the Great Plateau and see the world and the, the title comes up. And then Temporal if you're a gamer, people. you're, you're going to follow the path. You're going to go right um, down towards the Temple of Time. But she didn't. Um and she just immediately went left, fell off and died. But that taught her that, okay, if there is a mountain there, you need to plan effectively for it. You need to think about it. But there is also a way, if you go to the left, where I think you can climb over the mountain without much difficulty. And she did that. And because there's no, you know, there's no invisible walls, there's nothing that's stopping you from doing it. You can just go and do that. And I think personally that, the exploration in this game is really where it excels because you can just that come across stuff. That's the strong point that I was going to say. So I think yeah, um, one is the gameplay itself. Two is the world and just the way it's presented to you and the way that you can explore it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like I say, some of the best moments in this game are the ones that you don't know are coming. And... I was playing it and I was uh, I was going over some hills as I approached uh, Lake Hylia and as you get close to Lake Hylia if it's at a specific time of day you see a dragon uh, come out of the water I can't remember the dragon's name I did spend a bit of time on the dragon a few hours later because I needed to get part of his uh, his horn to upgrade the tunic but the first time kind of walking over the mountains and then just in the distance seeing a massive dragon like huge just kind of casually floating out of the lake and then flying around not before... as a cut scene no 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 it's... no it's all part of the game he just kind of comes out and flies around and then goes back into the lake and i i'd seen footage of that before but i'd forgotten i'd forgotten about it i think and i was like because i didn't really know anything about the dragons in this game because i think there are two or three uh, yeah, I found two, but I looked at it and I was a bit like, "Oh Christ!" And I only had like quite basic weaponry on me. I was like, "Am I gonna have to fight that thing?" Um, <laughs> which made me not go anywhere near that lake because I was like, "Absolutely no way! That thing is gonna absolutely like flame me." Um, but you you later find out if you do get a bit closer that they are um, they're peaceful. They they, they won't attack you. Um, and they're there to kind of get scales and parts of the horn from to, to upgrade your equipment. But yeah, like stumbling across stuff like that in this game, you can't really put, not put into words because it wasn't like a life changing experience for me, but it was very like quite special, it's you know, wonder though, isn't it? Yeah. A hundred percent. Because 
yeah, it's one of those games where you think, okay, I've seen everything. I'm on an open world. There's some really cool elements to it. Then all of a sudden, boom, dragon. Oh, what is that going to eat me? Like, you know, it's um, it, it's certainly it's certainly a special game with very special elements in it. So, um, I watched a video just before this. I hadn't watched it before. So, uh, there's a there's a channel called Game Makers Toolkit, and it's about the design of video games mm. and Basically, in 2017, Nintendo did a, a presentation in Japanese about how they designed Breath of the Wild, but not a lot of information was released about that, and Nintendo um, didn't release it themselves. So uh, this this YouTuber's kind of broken down what was said in that presentation, and they said that when they started designing this game, um, they they had the the towers, as you say, as the focal points, and people would just follow certain paths and they'd, they'd end up at the towers and they'd all go the same way. 80% of people would go the same way and 20% would go off in their own direction. But Nintendo wanted everyone to go off in their own direction. So they said the way that they combated this was they created these other focal points around the map of varying scale and size. So you've got, as you say, the shrines, which have this distinctive orange colour that will pull you one way because you know you can uh, increase your hearts, increase your stamina. Yeah. Um, you've got the the stables where you can uh, do various things, pick up side quests, rest. Um, and as you say, it's quite a hostile world. You've got the towns, you've got um, the, the towers themselves, and you've got all these things pulling you across the map and drawing you away from the towers. So... Apparently, the way that they designed the world was in triangles, so that there are there are so many hills and mountains, so that at any one time you can only see a certain number of things. So, say you've got four um, focal points, but then you'll go to one focal point, and yeah. you've got another four focal points, and they might be in a further direction. So you head in that direction, and then you see four more. And one of the things you said to me before we um, before we decided to do the episode today was, you keep getting pulled off in the, not not in a bad way but no. pulled off into a, a direction mm-hmm. away from the the four key areas and that's to me that's where the game shines because i it's a bold statement to say but i don't think i've played another open world game we played the witcher 3 recently the witcher 3 relies on waypoints and sat now very heavy journal telling you where to go and yeah it gets confusing at times in its linearity in terms of not linearity but in its um prescriptive way that it tells you to go to certain locations and mm-hmm. follow the waypoint um whereas here it, it basically just blows up that whole thing that whole um thing that video games do and, and does something different and i think games have done the same or attempted to do the same since then um since breath of the wild came out but it did feel very very fresh and i'd argue it still feels very fresh because so few games master that um and i'm just looking at my uh, when i when i put together the list for this episode i, I, I usually like to have quite a um a clear concise list but i've got notes all over the place here um so as you said, one of the great things about the game is that you can go anywhere. You can do the dungeons in any order. You can go straight to, to Ganon if you want to. Yeah. If you feel you're ready to do that. 
the storytelling is another area where they tried something different and I don't think this is actually as successful as the other things because before I played this game I read a, an interview with um, uh, Adrian Numa who's the producer of Zelda um, who's basically Mr. Zelda at Nintendo Yeah, and he said in terms of the storytelling he said we've done something completely different and with this um, we, you, we think it's going to be um, really fresh for people and it is different. This is not the way that people usually tell stories. But the problem that I have with it is it wasn't this new way of telling a story. But what you're basically doing is going around the map, unlocking memories. They're all in the past. Yes, you're unlocking what happened. But not all of them feel that important. Um, it just didn't feel revolutionary the way that he was describing. I don't know if you how you feel about the, the memories that you unlock. Um... Because the game is so open, you don't... I mean, you can follow the, the photos that you're given to kind of do it in a specific way, but you're more than likely going to just stumble across them, maybe, uh, if you're lucky. I, that was the only part of the game that I, um, that I really needed a bit of guidance on to find out the specific locations. So if you just do it in any order, you're going to kind of see the story of you know how Zelda and Link met to how their relationship increased to the point where she finally kind of opens up to him and has faith of, faith in him. But if you're watching them in, um, you know, a random order, it can be quite jarring because you're not really following the structure of the story, which, yeah. you know, is probably the only part of this game's story that this happens in because the rest of it is just like well you can do it in any point in any way that you need to until you get to this point and then you're at the castle so the story is going to go in this way um but i'm, I'm like because the, the the memories are completely optional you don't have to do you don't have to do anything in no, this game no no um but i'm glad that i did because it gave me more of a an idea on zelda and link's relationship and i mean this is the first time that uh, characters have been voiced in a Zelda game and I I wasn't really sure how I felt about Zelda's character yeah get that she I don't know she, she she comes across as I'm not sure but there's just something about her where I feel she she's very entitled and she's very up her own ass a little bit in the initial cutscenes, and and that that will probably change when you know I get to the castle and, and defeat Ganon, because I know that obviously she's heavily linked with that section of the game, and I know that she's linked with Tears of the Kingdom as well. So yeah, the, I'm already yeah, more impressed with Zelda's characterization in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, in in Breath of the Wild, she's just kind of shown to be a little bit helpless. She's kind of having an existential crisis throughout the twelve cutscenes of the memories about the fact that she cannot fathom this power um, that she needs to defeat Ganon. Um, and she's she's very much a reluctant hero uh, that's yet to kind of show off any heroics. And she's very aware of that, and she's very in her own head about that. So she's, she's very conflicted and very torn. Um, but because I haven't seen how the story ends, I know how the game ends in terms of fight Ganon and win, but I've never watched any of the cutscenes from the end game, so I don't know how the story concludes in Breath of the Wild, you know? 
So yeah. maybe my my perception on that will change at some point soon. I don't know, but um, yeah, the, I I feel that those memories really are key. And if there was going to be any part of the game that should have been mandatory, it probably should have been those. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about is. Uh, and I want to use the word systemic here. The gameplay is systemic. There are so many systems at play. Yeah. And they are part of what make the game joyous for me. So you go into a shrine, you've got a challenge. And I mean, the great one is, this is the one that people always use, but it's a great example. Um, you've got one where you've got a maze and you're, you're trying to get the, the ball from one side yeah. to the other. And... Um, you are using your tilt controls that the Switch has um, in order to manipulate this maze and to get the ball to roll from one end to the other. Mm. Or you can flip the the maze over entirely using the tilt controls, use the flat surface of the underside and roll it to your destination. Yeah. It's it's stuff like that. You've, You've got these shrines that you will see people on YouTube finding ways to do them. Which, it feels like with these shrines, they've presented these challenges. There are ways to do them that I suppose you could call intentional, set ways to do them. But there are also countless other ways to do them. So there are ones where you manipulate lightning. And in order to get lightning from one side to the other, you can use the set way that you suppose uh, Nintendo uh, intended for you to do. Or you can use... um, Weapons which conduct electricity and they can be your channel from one side to the other. Mm. Um, there are the, the systems at play. So you've got the rain. You've got um, the fact that if you use metallic weapons in the rain, you will get struck by lightning. So you have to change that your tactics me up, a bit. As you know. Yeah. Um, you, you've got the fact that you can't climb in the rain. So Also very people, frustrating. It just adds to this idea of a hostile world, doesn't it? And yeah. I'm sure there are some players that maybe waited the rain out in a stable or something. And I think that's maybe part of what Nintendo intended you to do. But people like me carried on anyway, thinking I'm going to I'm gonna do my, my damnedest to get up this mountain. And then lose the all your stamina and fall and die. Yeah, or that, yeah. Same. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. And then there's um, Link can jump for the first time. And yes. You've got these powers that I already mentioned. You've got the magnetism, you've got the stasis, and some of the stuff that people have done in this game, as I said before, is unbelievable the way that they've used this these physics. Have you seen the this... um people doing the traversal with the bombs? I've probably seen it at some point. Basically they they get a bomb, they throw it, and then they jump in the air oh, and get it, their yeah. bow out, so they're kind of going to like matrix slow time, shoot the shoot the bomb and they just go flying across the map and that's how a lot of yeah. them do traversal for speed runs it's crazy i mean it, it's at the at the you know the, the mercy of the fact that you lose a few hearts but it's crazy just like how there's people have fly broken this game. game there's ways to quite literally fly that people have found yeah um and i mean a simple example is this but there is there are so many systems at play but a simple example is this um you you have a uh, a fire breaks out because you shoot an explosive barrel. Yep. And all the surrounding grass, trees um, set on fire. Well, that in turn generates hot wind. 
that in turn you can use your glider and you can glide above. Yep. So say if you're fighting someone, then you can attack from above using your bow. And the whole game is like this. You have an axe. You can chop down trees. Using those trees, you can either gather the wood or you can um, build yourself a bridge to cross the river, which is, I think, one of the ones that's presented in the uh, in the plateau. Yeah, it is. One of the options that's presented to you. There's just so many logical things in there where you might think, can I do this? And invariably, most of the time, you can do that. And that's really satisfying. Um that to me adds to uh, the gameplay and, and the exploration to create this what feels like a living world. So although yes, the rain is hazardous and annoying, um, it's also consistent, makes mm. sense within that world, and people will deal with it in different ways. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the weapons. <laughs> which is a very contentious point and a very divisive point. Um, so let's talk about those. What do you think about them? I hate it. It is my biggest gripe with this game. To anyone that hasn't played it, the, the game has um, a weapon degradation system where basically you don't have a set inventory of weapons in this game like previous where you'd get like the Kokiri sword and then the Master Sword or whatever. It is very much the start of the game. You pick up like twigs and sticks and you fight with those until you can pick up swords. And like we said, the game scales with you. But each weapon, each shield and each bow only has a specific number of uses before it breaks. And this game, you can't fix stuff if it starts to become damaged. So it kind of puts you off from using the good equipment on things that you feel like maybe you don't need it and you can get the master sword in this game i I got it it's at the expense that you have to do quite a few shrines beforehand because you need 13 hearts to be able to pull it out of the stone but even then the master sword like you mentioned to me um it isn't the best weapon in the game and as well as that although it never breaks it will overcharge and then once you've done the same amount of damage as you'll do with any other weapon in the game it needs to charge back up for 10 in-game minutes so i found the degradation system to be very frustrating and part of me understands why they did it because they want you to kind I think of play it was necessary you think it was I necessary think, i th- yeah I, I think it was I don't think Nintendo set out to make a game with weapon degradation. No, I, I think they I did think it to um, make you play Alice in different ways and experience different things. So you just wouldn't get stuck this, playing in one way. With this hazardous world that they've got where everything is a threat, where it does have a steep difficulty curve to begin with, I think having a set sword, um, although it would have made it a, a more straightforward kind of... Um, less frustrating experience for some. Mm. I think it would also taken away from that element. I think you can't have one without the other. So I understand, well, I I feel like I understand why they did it and I don't mind it. I also feel like when you learn to embrace the degradation system, what I mean by that is you, you start to get into a habit of just picking things up and thinking you, you don't, um, it's, it, I mean, I've recently played Resident Evil 4 where your weapons, you're upgrading them and yeah. you have certain 
stalwarts that you always go for. Um, I love the Magnum in Resident Evil 4. You do the opposite in Zelda. You think, well, I'm not going to get attached to this because it's going to break. And weapons are plentiful. And the, I suppose the only problem with de degrading weapons is the fact that you always have to go into uh, the system to use them. Um, there might be another way, but I might have forgotten it. Uh, but yeah. So... I feel like it was necessary, and I feel like if you'd have had that system that the old Zelda use, the old Zeldas used, it it would have taken away something else that I feel like the game couldn't survive losing, um, and for the game to be as it is, I, f I feel like those are those are for that world to feel as hostile as it does, it's really important to have them. Um, I don't. I don't really know another solution to that conundrum, and, and I suppose that's why I think Nintendo went that way. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It probably is the case, but I still reserve the right to be annoyed about it because of it's course, of it's my my least favorite element of the game. Um, of course you do by by far. Um, but I I, I I I get the feeling I understand as to why it's there, but yeah, it just wasn't wasn't for me, you know. Yeah, and that's what that's why I've used the word necessary. I think mm. it was necessary. Even, even it's it's always going to be divisive, and there are always going to be Zelda fans clamouring for um, Nintendo to return to non-degradable weapons. But in this game, I feel like it was the right call, even if uh, it doesn't. But to be honest, it doesn't bother me as as much as it did no. to begin with. It did bother me a lot to begin with. It was it, you have to get used to it. Yeah, and. Just when you get yourself a good sword, you think, oh, it's bloody broken. Uh, I feel like you do start to unlock this sort of hermit's um, mentality where you just start to interchange things. And, and I've, I've kind of gone into Tears of the Kingdom with that same mentality. And it does things a little bit differently in Tears of the Kingdom. But yeah, it's, it's strange how you can shift that, that side of yourself. Um, because I, I'm not usually... I, I can't stand degradable weapons in other games but I, there's something here that you don't I mind do. it yeah yeah it's yeah i don't mind it and i understand it and because of that i find it acceptable but i, I also understand that people's mileage vary on this and i think this was one of the things that really put off um jim stephanie sterling which mm. is fair enough yeah 100%. Um, so the final design aspect i want to talk about and this is going to be a slightly longer episode, but I think that was to be expected, um, is the climbing and traversal. Um, so games have tried it before, and you hear that old thing of, oh, you can go anywhere. You see that hill, that mountain in the distance? You can, you go, can there. go there. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, games as far back as Oblivion and probably Morrowind were saying things like that. And... One thing that I've noticed a lot of games since Breath of the Wild have copied is a climbing system yeah. where you can climb anything. And it's something that's not the most fun to do in the game, but it really adds a lot to that freedom. Um, so I just wanted to touch upon it. Um, have you got any thoughts about the climbing? I, I love the climbing in this game. And you know, when you think of other games that have got somewhat similar environments or maps like Skyrim, and to climb a mountain, you a mountain, you effectively have to break the game um, so that you're walking vertically. Whereas the implementation here is really good. And like I said earlier, I use the climbing a lot to kind of get around 
um, difficult parts or to get around enemies. And you can use it for stealth. You can use it for lots of different, um, you know, di different tasks. Um, and as soon as I got the 13 hearts to get the Master Sword, I then just started putting all of my uh, Shrine Orbs into Stamina because I found Stamina to be the, 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 the most useful. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if you didn't need the 13 hearts to extract the Master Sword from the stone, I probably would have... Would have done it earlier. Yeah, I, I probably, you know, would have been happy if I had like six or seven hearts um, through the game and just put all of my stuff into stamina because I think it's so useful with things like climbing, with sprinting, with the amount of time you can hold on to your paraglider. It's just the, the way to go. And I really like the climbing in this game. Um, climbing in the rain is very frustrating. Yeah. That because, is, yeah. like you said earlier, it can kind of limit what you can do. And, you know, in the rain, you are very limited as to how Especially you can Especially if you're, you're halfway climbing up something and then it starts raining, yeah. which happens. Yeah, frustrating. Uh, but no, I, I really like the climbing element of this game and all of the stamina-based stuff I, I, I enjoy. I think it's one of the best elements of the game. Except the swimming. Don't like the swimming. You don't like the swimming? No. I, I think that's another... I, I, I think that's another design choice that they probably. made. Because there are parts of the map, there are um, certain areas that in a way can't be crossed because you, you won't be able to swim across them because of the stamina. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a way to not necessarily limit the player because I don't believe that was the reason but it was a way to rein in what you could do um, with that starting amount of things and yeah. I, th I think it was the, they, they don't put control on you a lot here but it's a way to steer you I think that's probably a good word for it to steer yeah, you yeah st steer way. you in different directions yeah I agree we've not really touched on this and looking forward to talking about it Let's talk about the audio of this game. I've got three aspects to talk about. Um, so let's talk about the voiceover that you, you mentioned before. How do you feel about it? It's all right. It's um, I, I, I don't think it's intrusive. It's the first Zelda game where they have used voice acting and only for a select number of characters. Not everyone has it. Um, for, for a lot of the NPCs, it's still very much the same Zelda where they're just like, uh, eh? that kind of thing. Which I'm okay with, to be honest. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I think I don't... they could have gone too far with it. Yeah, I, I don't think everyone needs a voice. And I think the decision to not voice Link as well was the correct one. Yeah. I think, to be fair, I even think voicing Zelda was risky. Because uh, like yeah. I say, I find it to be a bit irritating. But I think the voice acting is fine. It's not going to win any awards for how good it is. But I think no. it, it, it does the job in the limited um, inclusions to what it is in this game. Uh, are, you, are you are you similar? Yeah, I I think for for a long long time there was a conversation about should Zelda put voice work in, should they not? And I was I always aired on the side of not, um, because there's there's the cartoon, the unofficial cartoon that they made where they voiced the Sword of Gamelon or whatever it was called. You you, you must have seen. Oh, the CDI games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with oh, Link was like, yeah, excuse yeah, so, me, princess. Yeah, and and Arcturac? Yeah. Yeah, and if if handled the wrong way, it could have been um it could have turned it into a cartoon and just spoiled the game. Yeah. 
I think what you said, you used a phrase, and I, and I would echo this phrase, is you described it as non-intrusive, and that, that's what I think as well. Um, I know Zelda's performance, people were a bit divided on it. Um, what I don't like is, and I generally don't like this in, gen, in, in general with voice acting, is they've got an American actress to do a British accent, and you can hear um, American rhythms in there, yeah. which bothers me. It, it has improved by Tears of Tears of the Kingdom, um, and I'm glad that they've not done what lots of people say, which is I'll oh, get rid of the voice actress because that's a slippery slope as well. Um, and so, so see, I think Zelda's tolerable. Um, I think she's improved by Tears of the Kingdom, and the accents improved as well. So, yeah, it's there. And it's non-intrusive, so that's how I feel about the voice work. Um, soundtrack, what do you think? Yeah, the music's great. It's uh, I've mentioned a few times um, that games often need quiet time, and because a lot of this game Correct. is you on your own traveling, going cross country, climbing mountains, it will occasionally bring in like a very low backing track. Usually piano. Just piano, yeah. I love it. Yes. Um, it's very relaxing and it's the kind of thing that you could listen to to unwind and relax, which I think you do, you do don't you, with, with this the soundtrack? Um, uh, I, I've not really, not a lot, because some, some games, so some games I do like to go away and listen to. Some games I like to keep in the game because it makes you appreciate it more when you're actually playing it. Hmm. And this is one of those. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's, that's fair enough. Um, and you know this the Zelda series has some very very famous music in it you know you think to um, Ocarina of Time with all of the Ocarina tunes so many people know those when I think of some of the best music in the Zelda series I think of the Clock Town theme from Majora's Mask yeah. um, especially on the increments of the, the days passing particularly on the third day when it's all manic and crazy yeah Love and it. then the final 24 hours, it just suits. And Breath of the Wild doesn't really have anything like that in the game. But all of the music that it does have within the game and within the cutscenes, within the exploration and the background, suit it perfectly and it fits it perfectly. It, it doesn't need memorable, you know, tunes that it are going to... work to have the same... Um... MIDI. No, I mean it's not a career of time, but it wouldn't work to have the same MIDI track playing on repeat. No, the hundred and fifty-five hours that you're playing, you'd but probably be driven. There are there are definitely parts of this game that have little nods to the older games, like when you go up to the top of a tower and you're extracting the data for the region. Um, the music that plays is which is the sound of when you're opening a chest in Ocarina of Time there are nods to older games in the series that aren't intrusive again and it does it well and I think that's exactly what this kind of game needs because like I say it is it is a Zelda game but it feels like it's its own thing and I've not played Tears of the Kingdom and I've not really watched much footage on it um, I haven't, funnily enough. I, I went into that very cold, deliberately in a way, because yeah. I felt like I knew what I hoped it would be, and I didn't need anything to kind of paint my view of it, so I just wanted to go in cold and experience it for what it is. The feeling that I get with, with Breath of the Wild and with 
maybe with Tears of the Kingdom, I don't know, is that Nintendo are taking Zelda in a new direction. And it's got its nods to the the past and its history. But Zelda is becoming a different thing now. And I think that, that gets shown in the music. And, and to be fair, it's something I'm fine with. From what I understand, Tears of the Kingdom does bring things like dungeons back, I think. But, and that's something I'm not, you know, excited to experience because my gripe with the Zelda games is the dungeons. I've never really enjoyed them. But it depends how they do the spin of it. Because I, I know that they do. I, I've heard that too. But I've not experienced it yet. So it could, what I, what I love about the possibilities of Tears of the Kingdom are number one, refining Breath of the Wild, refining that core game. And there are refinements to be made, but also experimental Nintendo is one of the most exciting things. And I want to see what those dungeons look like and if they do look the same or if they are something quite different. Um, yeah. That's exciting to me. You, you said the same about um, Sony as well. You like it when Sony's being experimental Ah, uh, yeah, I love it, yeah. Yeah. PS3 Sony. Yes, exactly. So, so Sony that hasn't been around for a long time. Yeah. I hope to see you again. Um, do you have a favourite piece of music? Um, I don't know what it's called, uh, but it's, okay. um, it is, it's a piece of piano music and it's kind of very slow and it goes... Da-da-da. And then there's a very high kind of octave. It's just it's, it's background. I, I can't I can't explain it. I can't do it. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you after. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that that stands out for me. What about you? I love you. You'd have heard it once when you went into Hyrule Castle. Mm-hmm. Hyrule Castle to pick up the um, yeah the, the memory. memory. I love the Hyrule Castle theme. When you're about to do Ganon and you're working your way through Hyrule Castle, which is quite a long section, yeah, um, it's epic. It especially especially for me who'd been playing for yeah so long, literally hundreds of hours, and I got to this point and I was finally there, and it's such a great piece. And there are cues from um, Link's Awakening, the Ballad of the Windfish, in there. Yeah. And I think there are cues from Links to the Past as well in there. And it's just uh, such a good piece of music. And there are some other really great pieces here. There's the um there's the return of uh, Dragon Roost Island um in the the wind section with the birds, the bird people, Ruto, I think they're called. Yeah, I like I like them. That that's my favourite race of um characters in the Zelda series. I don't mind the Gorons and, and the Zora, but I really like the Ruto. Yeah, um, so I, I really love that piece. Um, and you, you've already touched on the, the other point that I had, which was the silence. And I think this this score, the score to this game, again, um, really feeds into that sense of adventure, Yeah, that sense of exploration. Whoever composed this music must have played the game and, and just felt, I don't know... Uh, just felt that this music fit and it really does um okay on to another very strong point the visuals let's talk about those 
it it's kind of it's similar to um to Wind Waker, isn't it? It's got like a kind of cell shaded effect to it, which I think works in its favour because same as Wind Waker, it doesn't really age. No. And you know the problem that you've got with Ocarina of Time with uh, Twilight Princess in particular, actually, is I think that they look very much defined by the generation that they came out in. Yeah. And Breath of the Wild doesn't, and it's the same for Tears of the Kingdom, I think, because uh, it's the same art style. That it really suits the environment and the kind of game that it is. But yeah, the the visuals on this game are are superb, and it it's got you know very what's the word I'd use to describe it's very pastels watercolor like pastels you know like um yeah. pastel paintings it reminds yeah. me of that but watercolor as well definitely um is that yeah those sort of um i don't know how you describe it those painterly vibes and they're, yeah. they're not they're not bright colors but no. they're but they're pretty and it's just very pretty isn't it yeah it is it, it's a very good looking game um there there are issues in terms of the frame rate occasionally uh, yeah. depending on how much is going on on the screen, particularly when you go into the um, the Kokiri Forest, uh, the yes, frame rate tanks. Yes. Yes. And I've heard that on the Wii U, the frame rate is particularly bad. Um, yeah. So it, it might be a bit of a, a victim of its own art style, but it does look incredibly appealing. This is, I know it's not um, realistic grass, but I think it's probably my favourite looking grass in gaming. Yeah. Just looks like i want to run around in it Mm -hmm. and i think that again adds to that sense of play adds to that sense of adventure and i i've heard that this is what um miyamoto wanted for for this zelda game that sense of play and Mm. i I feel like they've achieved that with with so many aspects of it um the word i'd use for it is light yeah not not just light as in like light and darkness but it just feels very light and weightless maybe deft mm, yeah uh, definitely um, okay on to our question of the week i don't know if you saw the trailer to like i've mentioned the trailer before the uh, the final trailer to no. this game but what i want to ask it's a fantastic trailer in it and it is so I, w- I would recommend watching it because it's so well put together the music is outstanding and the way it drops and and it makes you want to jump into this game. Um, I really would recommend it. Uh, so, what makes a good trailer for a game for you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the one for this one because like I said, I've not seen it. But when I think of good trailers, I immediately think of the trailer for GTA V. I remember yeah. when that trailer dropped... And it was so good, and it was the the intro, uh, intro to the trailer, where Michael, I think Michael says something like, "What made me move here?" I think it was the weather, and it just gives you an overview of Los Santos and shows you all the things that you're going to be able to do, and I think a good game trailer, the same as a good movie trailer, is it will reel you in and give you a tease of what you can expect to happen but it doesn't give away too much yes and there are a lot of films that have trailers where you could just say well i've pretty much seen the film now after you've watched the trailer so many trailers do that now it's so Mm -hmm. annoying um and i i always think with a trailer that maybe less is more yeah 
Don't give away your best moments in the trailer. Yeah. And I also think of the introduction to the trailer to The Force Awakens. Um, And obviously that was very highly anticipated because it was the first Star Wars film in 10 years. But it was just very simple. The first half of it anyway was very simple and very reeled in and, and, and kind of restrained. And it worked perfectly. And I think that's what I like to see from a trailer. Um, but at the same time, you know, they've just really uh, revealed that there's going to be a remake of MGS3. and Or a remaster. I don't know what they're doing with it because they're not really releasing much information. But it's a remake. The, the trailer for that, again, quite simple. It was just like some overview of some jungle, a snake and a crocodile fighting, and then... Um, big boss kind of uh, moving forward from the shadows but again simple understated but I didn't think much of it so okay I'm not sure uh, but maybe f- maybe it's, it's a beloved game for both of us maybe. yeah that, I think that's Seeing probably that an element way. of it um, yeah but yeah understated and not giving too much away I think is the best way to do a trailer in my opinion yeah and and when I first saw that Zelda trailer and, and um, it said something it says something along the lines of find out what happened a hundred years ago. You, you think maybe, and it doesn't entirely really do this, you think maybe they're going to tell you, tell a different story um, about Zelda. And, and this is why I love Majora's Mask because I love the fact that it was such a fresh, different story, different take on the Zelda series. Um so that, that kind of teases it, but you don't quite get that in the final game, which is a disappointment for me. Um, but other other I mentioned this during the Silent Hill 2 episode. I love the trailer for that game. And I, I love the tra- the uh, some of the trailers for Metal Gear Solid 2. I think they were fantastic. And yeah, it's making you compelled to to play something by giving you those tidbits and and giving you those snippets and trying to make you compelled to want to find out what happens around them um and i agree with you um having having an understated trailer that makes you want to dive into the world that shows you rather than tells you um that's a good thing. You know, perhaps. though, like, I am a hypocrite because I say all this, like this is what makes a good trailer, but probably my favourite video game trailer that I've ever seen is the one for Assassin's Creed Unity, um, where it's effectively, I think it's three or four assassins uh, jumping over the rooftops in Paris with a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I think it's done by uh, maybe Lord. And... Like it's just epic and it's bombastic and it's ridiculous, and it's probably my favourite game trailer I've ever seen. Even though it's the complete opposite of what I just said makes a good trailer. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I don't have an answer for you. That's uh, that. that... Uh, did you like the um, the Fallout seventy six trailer with um, Take Me Home Country Roads? Um, yeah, I thought that was all right. I've heard the game wasn't very it's a good, good trailer. It's a shame the game. Shame yeah. Game, but... Yeah. And what about the trailer for Noah's House Party? Ah, yes. I was wondering when our good friend Mr. Blobby would be coming up. Um, I had heard that there is actually a fifth divine beast. Um, And if you don't... There actually is a fifth divine beast in the DLC. Is there? 
Yeah, yeah. And is Mr. Blobby the the boss in there? I'm assuming. He is. Uh, he's the final boss, actually, with our uh, good friend Pingu. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. And Postman Pat makes an appearance. And yes, Postman Pat, of course. And, and Fireman Jess the Cat, Sam. of course. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, I've got I've got a new question. Mm. And, and, it, and it may be one that we carry forward uh, to other episodes. Describe Breath of the Wild in one word. I'm not going to use the same word that Matthew Matosis used, which was freedom. Um, although that was the first word that came to mind. I suppose I would say... Hmm. Alive. Okay, I like that. Yeah, why? The world just feels alive and it feels like if you're not there, things are going to continue happening around without you having an impact on the world. So I'm going to say alive. What would you say? That's a great one. Yeah, I like that. Um, The word I keep coming back to, the personification of this world for me is adventure. Mm-hmm. And when I think of adventure and what this game makes me feel, this game, and I'm going to save that for the conclusion actually because that's a good point. Um, so when you're a kid, and I don't know, you, 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 we used to play out outside with, and this this is what Miyamoto based the original game on, isn't it? From when he was a child. Yeah, yeah, and and you 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 might do like a fantasy thing where your 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 characters from a and we did that and this game feels like the game version of that in the very best way it feels like a create your own adventure and that's why the key word for me is adventure um and we're going to go straight from that into our conclusions does breath of the wild at number 9 on the metacritic top 100 deserve to be on the list yes it deserves to be in the list and i think it's in the right location um there are i i think there is an over uh what's the word i'm looking for an oversubscription of the zelda games in the top 100 list um yeah there's probably too many in there yeah but i think at the end of every zelda game that we've talked about i think i've probably said maybe bar one that i think it deserves to be there um but i think we i think so so the two that we have had discourse on i think are both wind waker and twilight Twilight Princess. princess yeah and maybe uh maybe a link to the past as well i think this game deserves to be here, and I'd say I'd, I'd probably argue that it deserves to be here over the others. Um, I'm I'm similar to you in that I really like this game, but I also really like Majora's Mask. Whereas for for you, They're just so different, aren't they? Yeah, and I realise the conversation for you isn't just I like Majora's Mask and I like Breath of the Wild. They're kind of tied, aren't they, for your favourite game of all time? Yeah, so I'll, I'll get into that a bit, maybe in in, in a bit. Yeah, um, but I, I I can't decide if you had to only choose one, whether it be Majora's Mask or um, Breath of the Wild on this list, because I enjoy the themes and the look and the the vibe of Majora's Mask a lot more. But I prefer the gameplay, the freedom, and the lack of dungeons in this game more than uh, Majora's Mask, other than the weapon degradation. But yeah, this game deserves to be here, and I think that it is rightfully in the top ten. What do you have to say? 
when I, I've got lots to say, so I'm just going to try and structure it so that I'm not blathering. Um, when I finished this game, I adored almost every element of this game, almost every element. The one thing that still feels stale to me is the setting and, and not, not the world. I think it's, it's brilliant, but just we've seen Hyrule. We've seen the Gorons and Death Mountain. We've seen the Zoras and Zoras Domain. Um, we've got we've got the desert and we've got the Rutos there, which is they're nice additions and they were uh, my favourite areas to explore in the game. Yeah. Um, because they felt different, they felt new. I'd not been there before. Um, I wanted to see this gameplay, um, this systemic nature of the world. Um, this very beautiful world, but in a different place. I wanted to see the Majora's Mask of Breath of the Wild. I'm hoping that's what Tears of the Kingdom is, but um, I'm also a bit sceptical because I feel like all the elements aligned with Majora's Mask to make it what it was. And let's not forget, it had two, um, I think there were two directors. I think it was Aiji and Numa. And also, um, I can't think of his name. Oh, so Koizumi. Um, can't think of his. I don't I'm know not if sure. His first or last name. Um, but yeah, so so Koizumi, who's now, I think he's on the Mario series. I think he's very heavily involved in the Mario series, and that was his one Zelda game. And he he brought the elements. He brought the dark elements to Majora's Mask. He brought the moon. Um, he was the one who had that sort of existential dream of the moon uh, crashing into the earth and that's what spawned Majora's Mask as a concept those were his ideas and the interesting elements to Majora's Mask a lot of them came from him yeah and I would love to see the Majora's Mask to um, Breath of the Wild's Ocarina of Time to see what that looks like um, a lot of the same stuff but in that dark setting going down a dark path get rid of zelda get rid of hyrule get rid of ganon i don't want to see them again i've seen enough of them um so that that was one thing that i did come away thinking to me imagining what that game could be um, was a big thing that being said let's not take anything away from what breath of the wild is uh, for me when i played this game it was a reminder of what games could be it was a reminder that when i played this i was 27 uh 2017 i was 27 and it was a reminder that games can still take you back to your childhood it was that sense of play and that was nice i didn't think i'd ever get that again from a game and this game gave that to me so it was a very special time for me it was a game that when I wasn't playing it, and I think I've mentioned, I've, I've used this description before, when I wasn't playing this game, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about what I was going to do, yeah. where I was going to go next. And games that can get the claws in you like that are few and far between. It's a very special game. Those um, combined, combined elements of the gameplay, um, that wilderness that is the world and the hostility of that and 
the systems at play. It's a it's a really great blend. And one thing I wanted to mention, I thought I, I was near, I, I must have been about 130, 140 hours in. I had covered the vast majority of the map and I was probably searching for shrines. Yeah. And I headed down, I believe it's um, the east side of the map near the bottom. And I discovered a village that I'd never seen before that I had never seen in any footage and it was its own unique thing it had its own creatures there that you don't really see elsewhere and it had its own side quests and people to talk to it was called Luralin Village and to me that just summarized Breath of the Wild you've got this village that no one references that you wouldn't know was there unless you'd kind of gone out of your way to look for it yeah. or you come across it and there are so few games that could resist not telling you about this village. Um, say it was someone referencing it somewhere, but this village is, is just sitting in isolation down there. And that to me was just like when you saw the dragon, I was like, what else can this game offer? And then it does that. And yeah. it, every time you think you've seen everything it has it to offer, something else it pulls back the curtain a little bit more and you mm. see something else. This game felt very, very, very fresh in 2017. Even after a lot of games have tried to borrow things from it, imitate it, copy certain aspects, it still feels fresh. Yeah. And that's a great compliment. Um, it deserves to be on the list. It deserves to be in the top 10. Now, I think... Today, and this may change, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's always a bit backwards and forwards. Today, I still think Majora's Mask is my favourite game. And I think I enjoyed that even more uh, the last time we played it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's still my favourite game. But Breath of the Wild is up there duking with it. And to me, it's probably, well, it is, it's top five in my favourite games. Um, so it does deserve to be there and... It was it was really fun talking about it as well. I mean, a game that you can spend an hour and thirty four minutes quite easily talking about. It's um, not many games that we've come across. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's go home. Um, all right. What have we got? What have we got coming up next time on the list? I can't remember. <laughs> so this is we've got a special episode coming up next time, haven't we? Yes. Let me to. Yeah, you, you do. Unravel the details. Okay. Um, next time, we've talked about this a few times. We've talked about an episode where we're going to um, look at individual genres. For example, fighting, um, racing, sports. And we're going to briefly assess the games on the list within those genres and each pick a game that we think is the winner, is the champion of that genre. Um, so we'll set out our genres and we'll both pick a champion. And it's just our way of... Uh, we, we always have the question of, oh, what's the best adventure game on the list? What's the get best fighting game on the list? We've, we've had that one quite a few times. But this is an opportunity for us to actually say definitively what we think and um, although, are the champions. Yeah, and, and although we've done over 100 games now, um, Breath of the Wild is the 99th game from the original the top 100. So 
we've pretty much done them all now, bar one being Half-Life Alex because technical limitations. Which is its own thing anyway, because it's VR. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, um, we, we've we've pretty much done the task that we started in February 2020. So even though we've done both the ranking episodes and there will be another ranking episode after we've done all of the additional games that were added into the list as well as maybe yeah. the the other critic list that we're doing. The uh, open critic. Open critic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of coming to an end for our original list now. There are still a few games that have been added into the Metacritic that we still need to do. We've got um, The House in Fata Morgana. We've got uh, God of God War of Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. And um, Street Fighter Six. That's just appeared. Yes, but that also I think is on the Open Critic, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm maybe, chance, but so, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll we'll have a look, and maybe because otherwise we're just going to be adding to them forever. So, oh, Tears of the Kingdom, of course. Tears of the Kingdom. So I think we're going to have to draw a line at some point. Finish. Yeah, that will be the closure of the first chapter of yes. our podcast. Then we're going on to do our own games, which we've been excited to do for quite a while. So yeah, that'll be next week. Um, but in the meantime, get us on social media, uh, Long Short Bit Podcast. Email us at longshortbitpodcast at hotmail.com. Give us a rate, give us a follow, give us a something, give us a letter, give us... What else can they give us? Snail mail. Snail mail and a cake. Um, Message in a bottle. Yes. So yeah, that that's everything from from us for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, it's a good one. Well, I enjoyed that. Very good. We'll see you next week then for a weird episode. But until then, yeah, cheerio. Goodbye. See you on the next one. <laughs>